Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, we're the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's never hit an opposing coach with a range ball, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> is there anything more truly SEC than than the coach and a visor getting hit by a golf ball from the stands? I understand there were mustard bottles and other things that littered the field in the the uh, Ole Miss Lane return game, but um, it just feels so SEC that that the you know frat daddy visor wearing coach <laughs> named Lane gets hit by a golf ball who someone absolutely brought into the into the stadium because they had played around and had it in their their white chinos that they could both wear on the course and and with their their Tennessee orange top into the stadium. I mean, beautiful. One, quit stealing range balls, all of you. Two, <laughs> like the only thing that's more ten- more SCC than that is Lane Kiffin like pointing to the crowd, like giving him grief, and somebody throwing their spitter from like the third floor and lane one handing that thing. Like that was, there was an incredible sequence of events where like, it was like stone cold calling from a, for a, a cold <laughs> one from the scorer's table. And he just reached back and one handed it. It was incredible. He Odell Beckham jr. That thing, like just no look one hand caught it in, in a crowd. Uh, and then 10 steps later, uh, threw his visor to a, a Tennessee fan just uh, as he left the stadium. Like, <laughs> You're, you're, you may have had the perfect analogy. Lane Kiffin might be the most perfect wrestling character. I, I hope he doesn't wait until Absolutely. until he ends his career because he's perfect right now. I don't know what old Lane would be, but this age Lane, like just a little husky Lane, like just uh, like a cherub with that devilish grin Lane. Like, come on, Vince McMahon, I know you listen to this. Get him, get him in. <laughs> like, I feel like Lane is going to be a... I feel like he's going on the like the Hayden Spurrier route, mm. and that's the best I, I've ever seen. But the other thing that really lo- I loved about the whole conversation, one, like, don't throw stuff on the field. It's, it's stupid, especially when your team has a chance to win. Like, don't do that. But two, like, the number of people that are discovering just, like, how weird the South is, it's like, people not knowing what, what the brown substance in that bottle was, I'm like, you definitely are not from around these parts because that's uh, that's – we all know what that is. But we're not here – to talk about foreign substances and bottles, we're here to talk. We're here to talk about just an absolutely foreign performance from our Texas Longhorns. I don't know where foreign came from, but it is what it is. Four and three, Gerald. That's where it comes from. Four and three. Kyle, that hurts. That that's that hurts me deep. It's a it's a deep cut. But Texas got crockpotted by Oklahoma State. This is the actual definition of a crockpotting. I've never seen it uh, more judiciously applied than this one where Oklahoma state just hung around and and kicked field goals. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, we're losing this thing. And there's a lot of blame to go around in this game. Kyle, I think um, when you give up again, like we talked about last week, when you give up a multi-score lead, 
there's a lot of blame to go around and, and we'll have multiple conversations, but I think the, the conversation really has to start. And a lot of it needs to be laid at the feet of the offense and head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, who's calling the offensive game plan. Texas had 317 total yards, which isn't a great out outing in and of itself, but just 92 of that came in the second half and 80 of that 92 came on one drive. So outside of one drive in the second half, Texas had 12 yards 11 of those came in the third quarter you heard me right just one yard in the fourth quarter texas goes three and out four consecutive times in the second half and the only thing that broke that streak was a four and out and then an interception like there's a lot to be said about where this went wrong but but i think where my mind immediately goes is that steve sarkeesian when he's got time to script is second to none but when it comes to having to call and play the on-field chess game then it seems like there's something that's not clicking or maybe it's a lack of personnel. But when he's got the advantage of coming off of his script, because Texas starts fast, Texas, once again, built an early lead, looked really good early on, looked really good on the first drive. Now, granted, uh, 40 of that 80 was one Bijan run. So there's an outlier there. But it seems like when Sark has to get off script and play the chess match, the the defensive coaches, at least in back-to-back weeks, are – getting the best of him yeah and and look at you know i during our our initial reaction and live stream i i said it flat out that sark got out coached by gundy basically gundy stuck to his conservative philosophy and and let texas beat themselves and it kind of it worked um the 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 oklahoma state defense versus the texas offense which is not um i think what we predicted coming in on a rewatch i I see the frustration in Sark, right? The 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 you know fumbled snap on on third down that that you know that's when you saw Sark on the sideline just kind of lose it and disgust, crouch down over there. Um, you know, just some of the third down plays where uh, it felt like as Casey caught the snap, he was already getting hit because the line was getting just you know pushed aside, being treated like a like a you know like a like a junior high outfit. It, I mean, it, it's tough, right? Because it seems very basic. Bijan's really good. He was really good in this one. Give him the ball more. Um, but, you know, Bijan was either really good or he got nothing. There was many runs where eight of his 33 rushes, you know, went for no gain. Uh, you know, the, there was a lot of stuff when you just kill a drive when you think, okay, just run the ball here, run it. But there was a lot of stuff when it felt like, you know, can we trust our line to give us even three yards here? You know, we can guarantee. Even if Bijan makes a guy miss, can he get – fall forward for three more yards to, to put us in, in, you know, at least plus territory on second or third down, you know, it Sark was in a tough spot, I think. And, and I'm not saying that he's off the hook because we have credited him. And again, his scripts the past two weeks, I've had multiple coaches at, at various levels text me and say, Sarkeesian is next level. He is, his play calling is unbeatable, unreal, elite, I've never seen I had an offensive coordinator text me and say I couldn't dream this this up in my in my wildest dreams, right? I think he is respected and when he when you have that level of respect which we all know, then it becomes so questionable when you have 1 yard and a quarter, when you have, you know, barely double digit yards outside of one drive and a half, you know, it, I think the blame goes all the way around it is the execution from the yeah. players, but uh, I don't know. I'm torn on how much of this to put squarely on his shoulders. That's a very fair point because the greatest offense in the world can't run without an offensive line that's holding up the quarterback. We saw, again, like the Super Bowl last year, 
Like there was a difference between the teams and a lot of it was the offensive line. That That is definitely something to talk about. And again, we can continue to lay unforgivable sins at the feet of, of Tom Herman and, and Herb Hand. And I will do that until the cows come home. But when you're when you are the offensive guru, when you are the offensive mastermind, when you're getting paid five million dollars a sure. year to be the offensive mastermind, you got to figure something out. I know, again, it's it's a hard ask because this team is not built like he wants it. This team is not built with the talent mix that he likes. This team is not built with the types of bodies that he likes on the offensive line. Kyle Flood and, and Herb Hand and really Tom Herman have very different ideas of what the offensive line that they want running their offense. So that is a thing, right? There, there, that's not being overlooked, right? And again, Casey had his objectively worst game of his starting career. Yeah. And so again, Steve Sarkeesian doesn't account for Casey locking in on not one, but two receivers and having them both intercepted. Right. So like those things are outside of his control and do not hear me taking shots at Casey Thompson. We'll have a whole separate conversation about that in just a moment. But like, it's just, it boggles my mind that, yeah. that you get nine yards from Bijan on a first in, you know, first in game and you don't go back to him three straight times to get you a yard. Like, that just boggles my mind. But again, you, you had your, your center uh, come out on that play because he was hurt, and you have to sub, so they, you know, it, it makes sense. All right, let's go to the outside and get that one, get the first down while we regroup, right? We've been doing that all day. You know, again, it is it is so easy for hindsight to be twenty twenty, and I agree. You know, second and one, third and one, those, those are plays that, it, that the best offensive coordinator in the country has in his bag, you think. I, I just, I don't know, I, I'm choosing to be optimistic and think year three Sarkeesian probably has those in the back right um I just think there's a talent deficit in key areas you saw it credit credit to Oklahoma State defense and let's let's dive in and look at some of the numbers right um Casey Thompson was 15 for 27 179 yards touchdown the two interceptions you mentioned right he attempted just one pass over 20 yards Cheryl after eight versus OU so they're clearly we knew that front seven got after the quarterback we we knew they were one of the best in the country at doing that and so even better than than OU um who you know was run blitzing to take Bijan away that Oklahoma State was just, we're going to get in the backfield and, and try to wreck everything. That clearly led to, and maybe some of that injury with, with Casey, which was a storyline as well with his thumb, um, led to the fact that the ball came out a little funny a couple times, didn't look quite quite right. You know, he floated a few. He, he already doesn't have the, the you know, NFL, you know, ooh and ah over his arm strength kind of kind of arm. He's got a live arm, but, but not that arm. And so, you know, whatever it was, they just didn't, attempt those and and you know that's interesting because we weren't hitting him before we thought we unlocked something with OU's in the first half especially and we didn't didn't go back to it the one you know long uh pass was was pretty much a a one-on-one -on -one zero zero uh cover zero where uh receiver beat his man Marcus Washington and he hit him and and you know there you go but it's a little bit interesting that if you if you look a little further he completed 15 three of those were jet sweeps so he only actually completed 12 downfield passes and some of those again were, were bubble screens and and things like that so it's it's not a ton 12 for uh you know 140 and some change downfield or lateral passing that wasn't a misclassified run so objectively 
not good from the from from Casey from the line from the receivers from the pass game in general. Again, there's a, there's a conversation we had about Casey playing hurt, right? There was he started the game with that wrist and thumb taped, and then at some point he took it off. And there's this there's this conversation happening about making quarterback change, and I just don't necessarily think you can do that after a five touchdown performance a week ago in the biggest game of the year. Again. There may be a time for that, and I think if this trend continues, potentially you can have that conversation. But again, there there is a the season is far from over, and so the ability yeah. to again that that is like a, we're scrapping the season. And and if you think that the season is over in the first year of a coach's tenure because they've lost two games and they're probably out of the race for the Big Twelve championship, then we may need to talk about realigning expectations. You and I specifically, we were on this podcast sure. three weeks ago talking about Texas has a shot at it, and I think they did. And then these last two games have kind of proved that they're not baked yet. And again, it's year one under a new coach after the third new coach in the last what seven years basically yeah. uh there's there is a lot of baking left to do uh casey thompson again we talked about it xavier worthy not as strong outing five receptions nine targets 28 yards josh moore three receptions on eight targets for 23 yards uh one drop and potentially a, another uh casey missed it i'm not sure about that marcus washington had the it was the leading receiver two receptions on two targets for 60 yards but 58 of that came on one and he Got a little. He got walked a little bit. We can talk about that later. He had to slow down potentially to catch that ball. But again, the, the pass game was not where it was a week ago. And if the pass game is even sixty percent of where it was a week ago, then potentially Texas has a different outcome. And we also have to talk about the the running game. And, and Bijan Robinson, when you look at it, had a pretty solid outing: twenty-one carries, one hundred thirty-five yards, two scores. He also had three receptions for thirty-eight yards and a touchdown. By the way, if you are not looking for that quick out to Bijan in the flats <laughs> as a defense, you're not doing your film study correctly. That's a separate conversation. Uh, but, you know, the Texas offensive line and the Texas offense was one of seven on, on rushes with two yards or fewer to go. Right? It's like that's not a great outing. Eight of 33 rushes in the game went for no gain or a loss. Again, that's the offensive line getting whipped a little bit, mm -hmm. and they made some in-game adjustments. You know, they started Tope Amade, and then they switched it out. Sark talked about it on Monday that you know Tope has never started a game, and so if you expect him to go four quarters, that's an unfair expectation. So they did some rotation. He also specifically called out a competition between uh, Christian Jones and Andre Carrick mm -hmm. on the left tackle. So changes potentially are coming to that, and so we'll see that. But the offensive line is not really giving the offense a ton of room to work and we see that when the all-world running back again has another 100 plus yards after contact yeah i mean look Bison had had a couple really nice plays in this one a couple heisman caliber plays and then there was just a lot of meh in the middle right there was it's frustrating because it felt like every time that he got space he did something with it there may have been two or three runs that he only took for eight yards because he you know he couldn't break two or three tackles there but it felt like take away those Let's call it three eight-yard gashes, uh, seven or eight yards. Every other time it felt like that he got two steps he, were, were his big plays when he did something. The other 15-some-odd touches he had, it was just running into a wall. And and again, we know Bijan is elite. We know he's a miracle worker. There There is a limit to expectation, right? These are, you know, a, a good Oklahoma State defense. Like, truth be told, a, a very good unit. It, quite likely the best in the conference, you know, they're probably going to finish as a top 15, 20 unit in the country. I mean, credit to them, a good unit. Um, but you know, these are, these are big 12, you know, division one football players. Like 
Bijan can only beat so many people so many times when he, when he has to do it, you know, five, five a play basically to try to get anything. So it was kind of sad when I would get frustrated and say, well, you know, yeah, Bijan, maybe you could have broke that one. Then I would watch the other series and watch, oh, this, this incredibly subpar by comparison running back is getting six yards and then falling forward for another two or three. Um, and, and it looks very easy for him, right? I think that the... It's very different how how the two running games, uh, especially in the fourth quarter for them, uh, looked out. And again, nothing on Bijan. It was interesting to see, though, um, Roshan Johnson and Keelan uh, Robinson, just five touches between them. Uh, Sark mentioned in his presser that immediately after the game, the team, the coaching staff was huddled up uh, talking about opportunities to get uh, K-Rob the ball more. You saw his one was electric on the first drive. Uh, Great scheme, again, to get it to him and didn't really see. He had one, I think, run up the middle after that and didn't really see um, a ton more. So it's it's tough because you wonder – is that, are they keying so hard on Bijan that these other guys might have a chance or there's some misdirection or some of the two-back stuff might be possible because the defense is focusing on five at all times? You know, but there's also the Tom Herman argument of don't take the ball out of your best player's hands. So it, it is a tough kind of distribution uh, equation to figure out. But I do think probably those guys deserve a couple more touches uh, in, in some unique ways. Yeah, and again, it was one of those situations where Keelan comes in, makes an electric play, and then we never see him again. Like, he's he's turning into, like, a Daje Johnson where it's like, oh, that guy's on the team still. And he the reminder is just an incredible play, and then you don't see him again for – and Daje had a completely different reason why he wasn't seeing the field, and we won't go into that. But for for me, it's just the – the frustration is starting to set in. And I think it's frustration around the fact that like you're seeing the difference between championship caliber and where Texas can be. And let's just go ahead and say it. The Oklahoma State defense is a championship caliber defense. Sure. I don't know if the offense is 6A Texas high school football caliber. Oh, they probably <laughs> are because, again, they, th- those are that is, you know, tw- 11 of the best players on all of their teams. But, like, that's the thing is, like, the, Texas is not up to the championship caliber yeah. yet, which is fine, right? I have to keep reminding myself Texas is what is seven games into a new head coach. Texas is seven games into a new era. And so – there are some gaps that hopefully we can see filled on the offense, uh, but there's an opportunity. Texas can kind of rewrite the story of the of the the rest of the season with these next two games, but they've got to get it together on third downs. That that to me is the biggest thing. The third downs were inexcusable for Texas. Yeah, Gerald, I did a rewatch today. I, I I watched the game once, and then I went and rewatched just the third down plays on both offense and defense to kind of really get a look at it. And I'm more convinced now than I was a hunch on my first two watches live and and a rewatch that this game more than anything was lost on on third down. Right, so four fourteen for the offense. It's not great, but when you hear it holistically, it doesn't sound as bad as it is. All four of those uh, conversions came in the first half. Uh, Three of them came in the first quarter. Two of them came on the opening touchdown drive. They had a pass to to Moore in the red zone for nine yards on a third and seven, and then Bijan on that third down ensuing from the one-yard line plunged in for a touchdown. That also uh, was uh, the only time they ever attempted a rush attempt on on a third down conversion. That is their only third down conversion rush attempt on the day. Um, that's tough. That's a tough look. Uh, 0-5 in the second half. They had a turnover. Most of it is exactly that dynamic. They chose to 
be multiple on third down, give a run pass option with Casey, who, who he did, you know, use his legs decent, you know, fairly well in, in, in this one. Didn't have the time to really make a bunch of guys miss. Um, but that in itself invited them, especially in the second half with uh, with Knowles' defense, just to pin their ears back and go after Thompson, knowing that they were passing on those third downs. And they got pressure almost every time. They got to the quarterback multiple times. They had tackles for loss multiple times. It was uh, it became a little predictable. If you want to talk about Sarkeesian and, and the play calling, this, I think, is 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 probably where it comes down to. Some of this is credit to Oklahoma State, right? The the pressures they dialed up, yeah. like that that third and fourth down play where they overloaded the backside of it and just didn't let anything develop. Like that's on Jim Knowles. That is Jim Knowles just dialing up the right pressure at the right time. Yep. But you have to be aware of that. And some of that honestly is on on the players on the field not recognizing that when everybody is standing on the freaking off on on the line ready to blitz, you've got to call something. You've got to. There, there were still timeouts on the books, yeah. so you could probably call a timeout and reassess that. Uh, that's the situation where I'm fine with burning a timeout. And so some of that is on the players, and, and even though, again, Casey Thompson has been here for five springs, that that is just his fifth start. So there's some room to grow as a starting quarterback. A- again, Oklahoma State played in the backfield for a ton of of that game, you know, Zach three, three times, three and a half times in that game um, where there were also some RPOs that I think got blown up and there were, you know, situations where Casey had a, had an intentional grounding. There was a, a play where he should have had an intentional grounding probably. Yeah, but right. there, Oklahoma state played a lot of that game in Texas's backfield and that, that sorely and solely lands at the offensive line. Yeah, in, in, including the offensive line, there was a fumble on one of those third downs that that was, you know, that's tough. I think Sark felt like he had a play there. There was a a overthrow after Thompson gets the no call roughing the passer where he slammed his chest in the same as it was called against Texas. We'll get to that on a third down. Um, <laughs> he Card comes in one play. To his credit, Thompson comes back in, makes the right read, gets the one-on-one coverage. Worthy has the double move. It was only probably a... It's called a 13-yard pass, but it was an off-to-the-races pass. If he connects with Worthy on that one, that's a touchdown pass, but it was probably a yard too far, too hard for him to be able to get it again. Instead of talking about a a highlight play, you're talking about getting off the field and punting. There was a a miscommunication or a drop or a Casey missed by a yard on basically they schemed everything with a look to Bijan down to the short side of the field with a blocker. The whole defense goes to it. You get one-on-one with Thompson on a third and three. He makes his move. Casey throws it at five yards. Thompson's at four yards and he, or excuse me, not not Thompson, Moore uh, is at four yards and, and Josh Moore just can't get his hands out to it and again is it too much zip is it thrown off was the route broke off a yard shorter than they they drew it up it's hard to say but those like throws and then the Kilvante floater on a third down that led to minus four points right we got a field goal um but the couldn't get his feet in there wasn't a, a clearly very 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 clearly pass interference as the guy hung on him for about three steps in the end zone but you know Thompson was getting the, his his absolute life, you know, flashing before his eyes with three uh, Cowboys about to sack him, kind of floated it up, made a good football play, gave Dixon a chance. Again, that flag gets thrown. It's pass interference. Bijan runs it in the next play for a touchdown. We're talking about a different game. It's tough. It's a game of inches. It's a game of plays. a game of seconds. It's it, it, it's just tough. The ball comes out of Casey's hands half a second earlier on that slant, and it's probably going for a first, if not more, right? there's You're right. It's a game of inches, and based on what Saturday's result, the offense was on the wrong side of all the inches against Oklahoma State. On the defensive side of the ball, 
the this is I think really where the crockpotting happened, mm. where it didn't seem like Oklahoma State had basically 400 yards, and then you look at the end of the game, it's like oh 398. That's that is a lot of yardage given up. And before we jump into this, we're we're going to talk about what happened against the defense, but you have to take into account that the offense went. Four and out three straight times. Any defense on the face of the planet is going to give up points when they spend the majority of the fourth and really half of the third quarter on the field. That's just how football works. You get tired. You give up plays. That's how teams like Oklahoma State is built beat you. And so let's keep that in mind as we have this conversation. But 220 rushing yards, 178 passing. This is the big, the crazy number for me. Oklahoma State went into the fourth quarter with 228 yards. 170 yards in the fourth quarter is more than they had in the entirety of the first half. Mm -hmm. That's a tale of a defense that's just been worn down by playing almost the entire second half of the game. And that's what happens. You crack big runs. Jalen Warren cracks a couple of big runs, 120 of it. 120 of his 193, I believe, came in the fourth quarter. He had 48 of that on the final two drives of the game. That's just a defense that's tired. And we can talk about, and I talked about in the broadcast, should PK have brought a safety into the box to help? I don't know if that has the effect, but you've played the majority of the second half of the game because those plays weren't happening in the first half. When the Texas defense, when Texas played complimentary football in the first half, those plays weren't necessarily happening. Yeah, you know what? You know what really sucks, Gerald, is if KJ Jefferson beats you passing or Spencer Sanders beats you with his arm. You know what sucks even worse when you don't make them have to do that um you know like yeah. if that was the outcome in the arkansas game and in in this game and it was like look last year it happened spencer sanders passed for 400 yards against texas by running that too high look you you didn't necessarily force them to do it i i didn't believe the stats until i rewatched it just how good the texas defense looked through three quarters like you know the fact they'd only given up 225 which again you know, when you, when they're on the field a lot and they did have some Ben don't break in there, but only 225 and they hadn't given up an offensive touchdown. They, they gave up the pick six touchdown, um, but that's not on the defense. And again, just makes the defense on the, you know, uh, have to work harder on the, on their side of the ball. But um, you know, they, they were, were shutting down in the red area doing what I think coach both Sark and, and PK want, which is Ben don't break, um, and and holding them ultimately, you know, to forcing them to punt. Some of that's on Gundy, but forcing them to punt, getting off the field. They were doing all right. I, I couldn't believe how stark and how drastic it truly was in that fourth quarter. Credit to Jalen Warren, who, I, again, the Big 12 is stacked with good running backs, right? There's probably like eight running backs who have in an other conferences, the chance to be named, you know, to the to the one of the teams for second or honorable mention. It's it's deep. Jalen Warren was at the bottom of my list of that depth, like seven or eight. I still don't necessarily think I bump him up too much, but good for him for taking what was there, yeah. falling forward. He had one really nice run. Like he's 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 a very serviceable college football running back. He didn't necessarily look like it in the first half. He didn't necessarily look like it in all of his games leading up to it. But he made some timely runs against a tired defense and did what he needed uh, to do. You know and and. Sanders for his, you know, all the dual threat that we thought didn't run a ton, but you know, he did have a big run on a, their equivalent where they had the, the fumbled snap and shotgun that comes with running shotgun. Texas had two of them both led directly to punts. Uh, they had Sanders had one. He, he got the next play like a quarterback draw for like 16 yards and, and got all that back. You know, it, it it's those again, it's those things, but you know, Texas said, all right, we're going to let this little running back who's averaging like four yards a carry, you know, have to beat us. Well, 
He did. In the second half, they got tired, and he did. And I think there's there's another conversation we need to have about talent and the players on the field because Demarvin Overshone played like what two drives maybe in this game? Uh, yeah, two or three. He played the first quarter basically. Yeah, it w- was not. He went out with a concussion. He's in the protocol. It's day to day. We'll find out. But this is a defense that's really driven by its linebackers, and so when your best linebacker, your second round NFL draft pick linebacker, is not on the field, and so you're playing you know, a former walk-on and a, an untested sophomore at linebacker, which no slight at Jalen Ford because Jalen Ford played an absolutely he sure heck of a game. He Kid had a game, absolute game, led the team in tackles with 12, had a tackle for loss, had a massive tackle on a two-point conversion. Well, should have been massive if the offense was able to get something going. When you're play, when Luke Brockermeyer and Jalen Ford are the two guys on the field, you're going to have some run-fit issues. And they had run-fit issues with Overshone on the field. Sure. So again, Jalen Ford, no knock on him. He's a true sophomore. He's not the athlete at this point in his career. He's not the linebacker at this point in his career that DeMarvin Overshone is. And so we've got to keep that in mind that part of that run issue is the fact that your best and also your best defensive player at this point to this point in the season, DeMarvin Overshone, was not on the field for 80% of the game. Yeah, that's a, it's a good point. And there, it felt like, I don't know, I don't know if it was before he went out or if it ramped up after, but it felt like uh, Coach K was was dialing up some some DB blitzes to kind of compensate for that pressure. You saw, um, you know, Foster come down. You saw, I think, uh, Cook a couple times. Um, you saw them get pressure. The sad thing was, I don't know if it was good read by Sanders and, and just running away from that blitz multiple times or, uh, or flipping the play and running away from it, I should say, or you know, one time Foster just got himself so out of position because he blitzed hard and lost contain. I mean, but that's not just our defensive backs. I saw Ovi do it. I saw, you know, Alfred Collins, who was incredible this game. I saw him do it. You know, our line, similar to OU, had multiple times where one player got great pressure into the backfield and then ended up creating a lane for a running back to run through. And that's that's tough. That's discipline. That's that's a tough thing, right? Col- Collins played well. He had three hurries in this one. Um, but again, it's tough when you have your line isn't working as a unit and you have a one guy getting through and then it, you know, it, it gives the lane for people to, to run through. That's where those fits that Gerald's talking about really matter with your linebackers filling in behind that. Um, there were a couple Brock Myers. He made a couple good plays on coming through and a couple where, you know, he came through so hard and then just basically the way they run their cowboy uh, fullback position uh, in the kind of pistol invert or the pistol they, they ran. He just kind of that's an easy, almost like a punt block for that guy who's who's a glorified up back, just to kick him out to the other side and let the running back come right through there. So um, it's tough, right? It's 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 cat and mouse. You you knew that this was a limited Oklahoma State offense, and for three quarters it looked that way. Third downs again were tough. Yeah, I mean Oklahoma State did slightly better than Texas, six of seventeen. Uh, they had two that were converted via penalty. The roughing the passer. Sark mentioned it in the the presser. They sent this roughing the passer flag and the one that didn't get flagged against Casey uh, to the Big 12 for review just to get some clarity. And he said, hey, you know, just call it even. I don't care how you call it. Just call it even. The horse collar, by the letter of the law, was a horse collar tackle, but that's one that I've said on Twitter multiple times. You probably need to re-examine and re-evaluate because what's he supposed to do in that situation? Not tackle the player? Like, that's... 
you're playing football, you're moving at, you're Keandre Coburn moving at that speed. Right. Do, do we not have like a, 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 a break here for the 350 yard, 350 pound guy who's run to the sideline chasing a mobile quarterback out there to even get his hands on him? I feel like that's the other ref should have picked it up and said, look how big he is. You know, like it's just yeah. wave it off. Yeah. Like, that guy's trying. <laughs> it's, he's, it's, it's like the kid at camp where you're like, he's trying. Let's just give it to him. That's, but that's, that is, and Oklahoma State got points off of both of those drives. Correct. So, but I want to come back to something you said about Oklahoma State having a limited offense, which is true, but Gundy is playing to his strengths. Yep. Gundy knows that if you can limit the number of snaps that your defense gets, then they'll play fresher for longer. Yep. And when you do that, the other defense gets tired and eventually you'll break a 40-yard run in the fourth quarter. And so... I was trying to figure out what Gundy was doing. And I asked questions of, of the OSU folks like, is the offense bad? Or like, what's going like? Because Oklahoma State has had this defensive regression over the last couple of years. But it seems like Gundy is just realizing that he's found a new wrinkle in the Big 12. He's kind of cracked the code a little bit. And maybe this is, this is just the winning proposition now in the Big 12 is like just – wear the other guys down and see how it happens. Um, but there was also a field position situation. Oklahoma State, uh, their average starting field position was 11 yards better than Texas. Texas mm-hmm. started at the 24. Oklahoma State mm-hmm. started on average at the 35. So there's a big field position dispar- a disparity there. You know, the the Oklahoma State punter did a really good job of, when he punted all those times, keeping Texas's return game out of it yep. and kind of minimizing that advantage. And so there's, there's this narrative that Oklahoma State is, like, not a good undefeated team. But I really think that they're, like, sneaky like, sneaky like a fox at this point, where they're just like, we're going to continue crockpotting people, and at some point we'll get to OU and see how this goes. We'll agree to disagree on whether they're a good team. I don't think Oklahoma State is a good team. I think they're two takeaways. I think Texas's inability to convert on third downs. I think uh, some questionable penalties that led directly to points. You just talked about six points uh, for Oklahoma State on two penalties on third and nine. You talked about minus four points, and those are just the direct ones. That's not the missed holdings on third downs where you know a Texas Ed rusher just basically a guy got past him, and instead of getting a hit on the quarterback, they did the smart play to hold. I, I counted it twice or three times just that exact play where they just grabbed him and said all right i'm not gonna let sanders get hit and it didn't get called so mm, texas are they a good team i don't know um is oklahoma state a good team i don't think so like i i don't i didn't leave that game in the the uh the win probability uh after the game being 29 percent for oklahoma state uh from uh the uh s&p plus should tell you that that texas is the better team out of these two and i don't think texas is a good team right so um does that mean gundy's the better coach because with that he won by doing his punting on fourth and one field goal on fourth and one taking the points doing exactly what you said sure that could be it could be the new wrinkle um you know gundy is oan conservative in his play calls the past few years and every phase of the game and i feel like it really it, it is his strategy but the, the again converting two penalties on third and nine the way they converted to like you said maximizing a lack of talent that offense really isn't good they converted on screen passes twice on rushes three times, and on a downfield pass once. One time did they throw the ball downfield because they know Tay Barber is their best receiver, and he's okay, um, but he had some drops. They know Spencer Sanders is a little bit inaccurate. His interception and almost another interception to Jamison, bad throws, that's not their strength. So they they took downfield passes when Texas was off 10 yards. They took them. Otherwise, they, they tried to do anything to not have to do that. Again, that's good coaching. They They – 
couldn't convert in the red zone because Texas, you know, tightened up like they did and they just didn't have the athletes to beat Texas. Three red zone trips turned into field goals for them. Again, that should be winning football for Texas if that offense is is executing. So uh, is Oklahoma State a good team? Sorry, you, you got me you got me feeling spicy when you said that one. No. No, I'll come out and say it. No, they're not. Is Texas? No, I can't say right now that they are. So two not great teams. One of them happens to be like in the playoff contention, which I think is funny. Um, but uh, I don't think either of them deserve to be in that conversation. Four words, Kyle. Good teams win ugly. That is that is what it boils down to, is Mike Gundy has maximized what that team is. Sure. He's very aware of what that team is, and he's turned them into something. Mike Gundy has done a job that a lot of coaches are unable to do, and that's adapt. And we were kind of taking shots at Gundy for what we thought was kind of just a a crap season, but Mike Gundy has seemingly pivoted. He has realized that I don't have the horses to run with OU. I don't have the horses to run with Texas, so I'm not going to do that. He openly said it on Monday. I I do not want to get into a shootout with these guys. And you know what he did? He played that game up to his waist in mud, and they won. And good teams yeah. went ugly. Yeah. I mean, Gerald, I, I, I very much remember the Cibolo Creek Cougars um, going to teams, and we had uh, a player who played at UT um, who, was, who was that much better than everyone at, at you know, seven years old or whatever, um, James Henry. But um, we had some speed. We had some talent. And it was always weird how three different teams that season had sprinklers break or get left on overnight, so the field had two inches of water on it. That's smart. Good coaching. That's the Mike Gundy school of, you know, play to your advantages. It's 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 warfare. Use your terrain. Use your uh, your wiles, your tricks, your, your you know. You, he had a philosophy, and he stuck to it. So credit to Mike Gundy for that, right? I think that's what you're saying, and I'm agreeing with you absolutely on that. So quick Potsdamus update. Kyle leads 10 to 7. We both went 1 and 1 this year. We I hit on Bijan getting his two rush rush touchdowns. Kyle said that Texas would hold Spencer Sanders under 300 total yards, which they did. We missed on one each. Kyle had Texas going for more than 300 passing yards, and I had two takeaways for Texas. I was very close to hitting on this one. This one uh there was very very close. I was not anywhere close you were, it's it's okay so kyle still has a comfortable lead with uh with five games left in the season so it's still anybody's ball game but now texas with two losses in conference um is presumably or at least as it stands right now on the outside looking in at the big 12 championship game uh, i mean it seems like we're hurling towards back-to-back bedlams is what it really seems like at this point but there's still a lot of football left to be played. Yeah, here's the thing. Oklahoma State is a great uh, fly in the punch bowl for other teams at the end of the season. They've ruined a lot of teams' good seasons, kept them out of you know bowl games, playoff games, whatever. Um, let's see how how it is you know with them having to to be the ones who have to win out. Um, they do have TCU and OU remaining, but it would be a miracle to find three losses on their schedule um, with the with the type of defense they have. Texas schedule remaining has two of the the other teams who could even be in contention for that Baylor, Iowa state, and then followed by three teams who are zero and three in conference KU, West Virginia, Kansas state. So if Texas wins out, I mean, or at least wins the next two in Baylor and Iowa state, they at least will, you know, be leaning on OU, uh, Baylor plays TCU and OU or, uh, Oklahoma state, I guess, Iowa state plays TCU, OU and Oklahoma state. So, um, if TCU can play a spoiler, you know, maybe, uh, if, if Texas can beat Baylor and Iowa state, Hey man, that third place in the big 12 looking, looking real, real doable for Texas. If 
They get their head out of their their keister and uh, and just play their game and do the things that they do well and stop trying to do the other things. It's an imperfect, flawed team. They have no line. Their defense, you know, has some some warts. But if Texas can play, they aren't in control of their destiny destiny anymore. But they can still position themselves for a decent bowl game if they do the things they they have to do. Take care of what you got to take care of and let everything else shake out. So Texas gets an off week. We'll have uh, a preview for you, not of the the upcoming game, but of basketball season. Cause that's right around the corner for your Thursday show this week. And then our recap show next week, we'll have Mike Roach, our friend coming on to talk a little recruiting in the free week. So now's the part of the show where we give some shine to all the other sports on campus and we down the 40. We always start here. Number one volleyball sweeps TCU without dropping a set. Again, they have just dropped two sets all season and they still haven't dropped a set at home this year, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, Logan Eggleston continues to just tear up Big 12 play. The usual suspects were all over the court in this one. Yeah, in addition to Eggleston Fields and, and Asia O'Neill, again, three All-Americans. There's some others I, I don't want to leave out who are playing really well, but those three just rise to the top. Every game um, looks like they, they very much control their own <laughs> destiny, just keep doing what they're doing. They do go on the dreaded road where they have lost two sets this year. Um, <laughs> see if they can improve that number or not let it get any larger uh, Thursday and Friday against Iowa State in Ames. Number 25, soccer remains undefeated in conference play with a nil-nil draw against the Baylor Bears. That it, Going into last week, we talked about this game that Baylor was ranked and Texas was unranked, and then right before it, they swapped them. So Texas is now number 25, Baylor on the outside looking in. Texas managed just four shots on goal in the game. Savannah Madden continues to be the just the goat the the savior for this uh this undefeated streak yeah we talk about a really young team especially up front in their attack um you know there's two really senior or super senior players also in this team who deserve obviously grasso up front with that young uh trini byers mesimo and 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 just talented young front but also in the back savannah madden is a super senior like to come back this year um and is proving to be kind of the rock of that team Texas, this is the first week ranked uh, in the past couple years. This is a good sign, uh, and and they're playing well against the best teams. TCU, uh, again, a almost pretty much top twenty-five Baylor. They're 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 uh, at least showing that they belong with the best teams in the Big Twelve, and that's great. I think that's that's where this team needs to be. It steps in the right direction. Just finish it out strong. So they've got another ranked matchup. They take on West Virginia on Thursday, and then Oklahoma State on Saturday. Both of those will be in Austin. We mentioned it on the Thursday show, but number five men's golf won the match play tournament for a conference championship. They beat number two OSU in the first match and closed it out with number 10 Texas Tech to bring home more golf hardware to Austin. Love it. Keep keep stacking them up. Number seven women's golf tied for sixth place at the Stanford Intercollegiate. Uh, senior Sarah Kusakova carded a five under 66 to finish in second place as a runner-up with 12 under. 
Yeah, they were 16th after Friday's opener. They everyone they, they just didn't look like this was going to be a throwaway weekend, um, and they really battled back on the, the final Sunday round. They were just one shot behind number one Stanford, so um, uh, and actually a, a really strong performance. I think the coaching staff said they were quite happy with the fight. They, you know, better than you know. Besides winning the thing, the second best outcome was to go down like that and come back. They're a top ten team. That's going to pay dividends at the end of the season. This tournament had obviously number one and seven total top twenty five teams. So. Uh, Sixth place tie is is you know where they should be. It's a good finish again, especially given how they started. Number one, men swimming and diving. Eddie Reese is back on the side of the pool. I don't know where they stand, but <laughs> Eddie Reese does a lot of things. But what's one thing Eddie Reese doesn't do, Kyle? Uh, wear speedo. He doesn't wear a speedo. He also doesn't lose to A and M. They That's beat A and M one eighty five to one hundred seven. Texas swimming is now two and zero. On the year, uh, uh, sophomore Carson Foster and senior diver Jordan Wendell earned the Big 12 Men's Swimming and Diving Diver of the Week. Uh, number five, Women's Swimming and Diving also doesn't lose to AM. and uh, They topped the Aggies in College Station. Uh, Emma Stickland was tabbed the Swimmer of the Week. Haley Hernandez, Diver of the Week. And Ellie Andrews, going to enjoy saying that, Newcomer of the Week. Next up, both teams will travel in two weeks to Charlottesville, Virginia to take on uh, a really good Virginia swimming program, the men's uh, unit ranked number nine right now. So have a week off to regroup for their first real test. Uh, no, no shade at the Aggies, but it was shade at the Aggies, but their first real test in Charlottesville. Continuing to shade the Aggies, softball beat them eight to six on their home diamond so they played 10 innings the last four of those were like situational base running setups or like just some fall ball practice which is just the coolest thing in the world texas um was down uh, in this uh, actually six to three and then knocked in five runs in the 10th yeah, you love to see it. Lauren, Lauren Burke, Brie too, looking good, uh, driving some runs in there. Uh, Estelle Check, uh, four innings, four hits, only one earned run, four Ks. Look good. Shea O'Leary uh, pitched the final three, got four Ks in there. So uh, Texas looking at some looking at some arms. Uh, and speaking of arms, Gerald, we're going to talk a little Cruton. Softball Cruton, baby. Haley Dolcini announces her transfer to finish out her Sweetness. college. It, it is. It is a beautiful name. Finish her college career at Texas. She uh, very, very well out, out in the pack uh, in the, uh, the West coast last year, 22 and five at Fresno state with a 1.21 ERA. She might just end up being the ACE on the year. Yeah, she actually, uh, if you if you watch the women's NCAA tournament, I guess the NCAA softball tournament, it's not a men's softball tournament, but she shot out Minnesota, like pitched a shutout in the tournament. So that's kind of her claim to fame coming into Texas. She'll play one year for coach uh, Mike White. Women's tennis uh, back on the court. Kylie Collins claimed the single championship at the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, Texas Regional, with a 6-4, 6-4 win over Alicia Eroliana in the 64-player tournament. She also made the semis. Uh, in the dub- in doubles with Charlotte Chavitopon, uh, I believe is what we're going with. Uh, next up for Texas is the UTSA 25K. UTSA is hosting the tournament in Austin. Number 24 men's cross country finished sixth in the me- uh, in the men's Garnet 8K. Uh, finished behind only five top 10 teams. Uh, Texas is outing. Also outdid number 24 to state and number 22 Alabama. Hoff to night. Again, if you're making me run 8K when I have to, uh, was the first Longhorn to finish uh, with a time of 23, 28, and 2, which is just 
23 minutes to run eight kilometers is absolutely ridiculous, Kyle, but that's neither here nor there. The women's team finished second in the open 6K at the FSU Invitational. Women's basketball opens the season with the orange and white scrimmage on the 24th. Men's basketball comes into the season ranked fifth in the preseason poll, thanks to a lot of Coach Beard's um, <laughs> portal pirating, as we've dubbed it. Um, is, it, is, it Kansas. is it pirating or piratry? Uh, I don't. That's you know what we'll have to consult. If you're if you're a linguist, go <laughs> ahead and, and tweet us at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Let us know which one that is. Texas had three players with, with preseason All Conference honors. Uh, Marcus Carr selected as a newcomer of the year. Is also tabbed to the All Big Twelve team. Andrew Jones and Trey Mitchell were named preseason All Americans. Marcus Carr is just one of twenty players named to the Koozie Watch list that is given to the best point guard. I'm excited to talk a little men's basketball preview coming up this week. It's going to be a good one uh, to hit your ears. Uh, women's basketball preview also be fantastic. Uh, these are two teams that high expectation. I know football has let us down a little bit, but everyone else on campus is uh, is looking good, playing good, and projecting well. So now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? <sighs> Didn't see a great college football game in, in Austin. Uh, had to watch it three times, and that made it worse. Um, but uh, the best thing I saw in college football this week, I'm not going to say Iowa losing. Uh, again, my, my family is a Penn State family in its, in its deepest roots back to Pennsylvania. Uh, so there was a little bit of salt from Iowa last week, and good friend of the show, Raymond, I think may have given up on the college football season in general after Penn State lost. Um, but <laughs> Iowa fans, again, Iowa nice, but we've we've met Iowa State fans. They, they're nice until they're not, until they get good and they get a little <laughs> cocky, you know, and they, uh, they, 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 they talk a little bit more when, when they're good. When they're, when they're just average, they're nice folks. Uh, they're not, they don't really know how to, to, to win and, and carry themselves. But that's not what I'm talking about. Iowa did lose to Purdue. Uh, again, if you're number two, don't play Purdue. We saw that happen at Ohio State. But the best thing I saw was in a different conference entirely. ACC, uh, Mac Brown's had a tough year. He's got some tough ones still on the schedule uh, coming up, but he got to face one of his assistants. There's a long-running statistic about Nick Saban and his assistants and how they can't beat him and all that. Um, but Mac likes playing his assistants too. Uh, and Manny Diaz has had a rough year as the head coach at the University of Miami. His seat is uh, Fuego, uh, as they say in Miami. Um, handsome Devil might be out of a job. At the end of the year, we'll see. Didn't help that Mac Brown came in. And when Mac Brown loses, I think I heard Spencer Hall say this, he looks 79, and when he wins, he looks 49 <laughs> uh, after the game. And, man, Mac was glowing. I'm not saying gloating. I'm saying glowing. And he went out and met Manny Diaz. And it looked like Manny wanted just to, yeah, thanks, Coach, and go. But remember, Mac fired Manny in the middle of the season. They've played a couple times. There's There's some blood there. Mac went for the grab on the arm after the shake to hold him there. Hold him in. And and Manny just looks like there was no place on the face of the earth he would rather be. Like, I just, he was squirming and Mac just was loving it. And just, I'm sure Mac was saying nice and folksy, like, you know, you're going to get him next year. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Casitas down there in Miami, you can go take a respite to. Uh, yeah, young coach. That's, Things are going to turn around. That's exactly right. And, Manny was having none of it. It just, you could just feel 
his blood boiling and if you haven't seen it it's a clip of like eight seconds there's no audio to it so it makes it even better because you can imagine but go find it we'll uh maybe put it out on our twitter but uh go find it and it, it, it'll bring joy to you for for eight seconds because you know we always want good things for mac or we at least want the most mac experience for mac and i think that was the most mac thing i've ever seen it was like you could I couldn't tell if it was Mac being nice or Mac like rubbing salt in the wounds. I still feel like Mac is like a little a little pissy based on what happened at BYU, but also Manny is also well within his rights to be upset uh, and not want to talk to Mac Brown. Very clearly did not want to be there, and I absolutely loved it. That that fact that you couldn't tell what Mac was saying and what he was thinking is is why I said it's the most Mac thing of all time. <laughs> Absolutely, because he could have been saying, I feel like Mac is like sneaky shady. I've always <laughs> definitely felt like that. But I'm banging the drum this week on some pride in the University of Texas system football. Now, the the football the, the football team at the flagship university at, of the state needs a little bit of help. But, Kyle, you and I grew up in San Antonio, the San Antonio area, um, and UTSA is currently undefeated and ranked in the AP Top 25 for the first time ever. The UTEP Miners, currently at 6-1, bowl eligible for the first time, it seems like, since football has existed. (laughs) Both of those teams, in a few weeks, if they win their next couple of games, they will be like an 8-1 and 9-0 squadron, basically playing for a half or a division title in their conference. If college game day doesn't at least think about going to El Paso for a Saturday, can you imagine like the hype for that game? Like (laughs) UTEP fans, we had, we, if you don't remember, Texas played UTEP a year ago and it was almost a hate crime. Like with what Texas did to them, like we had the UTEP guy come on and help, like preview the game and he was like I don't know they kind of suck Texas is going to beat them by 60 and that's basically what happened and to see what UTEP has done in a year and so on the other side of the coin to see what Jeff Trailer has done at UTSA in in kind of a short I mean they haven't had football for that long right like he's out there giving out taquitos he's out there like getting people hyped the Alamo Dome was packed on Saturday this is a team that's doing some things and it's not just because our son shirts Texas's finest Frank Harris the lefty rocking number zero on his jersey is leading him, but it's just cool to see. And so I'm banging the drum this week on like, it's a bye week. And so save yourself some time. Just enjoy watching UTSA or UTEP play some solid football at the level that they're at. Gerald, that's a really, really good point. Uh, meet me, uh, picks up, you know, get your hashtags ready. I just wanted to throw out because again, I guess we started with the shade. So let's just keep it rolling. The University of Texas system currently has uh, 14 Division one wins. Texas A&M system, nowhere close to that. Ten less <laughs> wins. You know, it, it, they, they're getting nothing like UT is from, from the other schools in the system. Um, University of Texas A&M, uh, Qatar, or whatever. They're not adding anything to the equation. So I think, yet again, we see who the superior university system is. I mean... Are we shocked at which one is superior? No. Texas has schools in multiple time zones. Thanks, UTEP, <laughs> for helping us out. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, 
Where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carb. You can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram. We are at the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Kyle, I saved this surprise for the end. You ready for this surprise? Thank you for 300 episodes hey. of this here podcast. Thank you all so much for going on this journey with us. It's been incredible. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. You have until November 1st to get your renderings of Chris Beard's face on the court. And-